Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, I'm Paulo Ferreira, and you are listening to the London News Blue. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the London is Blue podcast, a podcast made for the fans, by the fans, celebrating the only team that matters. Come on, you blues. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast presented by World Soccer Shop. Head on over to worldsoccershop.com for the best Chelsea gear around. Joining me, as always, are Nick and Dan. But gentlemen, it has been a crazy weekend for us Chelsea fans. Dan, how are you surviving it all? Uh, I did so without resorting to the use of pyrotechnics. I feel pretty good about my weekend. Well, that's fantastic, Nick. I mean, same thing. You're, you're doing all right. Haven't uh, pretended to uh, f- be a fan of another team even. Yeah. I mean, we, we generally don't like to do that on the show. So I think we we made it through pretty, uh, pretty scot-free. No, it is it is good that we are all still here and all still Blues fans. But, you know, uh, we are happy to welcome back Nisar Kinsella from Goal.com, who you all should recognize from his fantastic post-match Facebook Live videos. How's it going, Naz? Yeah, really good. Th- thanks for the uh, great, great sort of reception. Uh, yeah, it's really good. It's good to be back. It's my second appearance on here now, isn't it? It's true. Yeah, more, more, more captain than some people, too. We're trying to get you up to Joe Tweeds' level. Yeah, well, maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'll take like 40 years because he's been on like 19 million times now. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like Gary Cahill chasing John Terry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, you know, obviously, this is when we hit up our iTunes reviews. These are for the fans that, you know, want to get a little shout out from us this week. Dan is back. I know we had to take a week off because he was gone. But now that you're here, we've got reviews to catch up on. Yeah, we got we got a couple five star iTunes reviews and we check all the stores. So uh, these ones actually all came from the U.S. iTunes store uh, this past week. But uh we got uh, Galagos, King, Little E, M. Bergenson, uh, Worship Together, and Durlem K. 
So we've got a couple people with some very inventive names. I would expect nothing <laughs> less from great Chelsea fans, great minds, great intellect, putting together some wonderful names and some great iTunes reviews. And if you want to get a shout out next week, uh, for my imagine probably Brandon or Nick, uh, leaving us an iTunes review, uh, five stars, preferable, uh, for it's okay, but five is better. All right. Well, before we go ahead and jump into the Crystal Palace match, we always give a shout out. And this is a special one. We have a message from XL Tours. I'm sure all of you have heard we're going to London. Nick, what do we got? Right. Just a a quick update that obviously the uh, Middlesbrough match was rescheduled for Monday instead of a Saturday. So we've updated the travel itinerary and everything. There are only a couple of spots left on this trip. So if you're thinking about it, uh, just let us know. Shoot us an email. Shoot us a uh, a tweet and we'll uh, we'll get you hooked up with all the latest information. Uh, Go ahead and follow XL, XL Tours on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, they'll post some updates there. They'll also email you if you've signed up um, with any updates and travel itinerary stuff. So we're looking forward to releasing some cool information about some uh, potential extras on that trip in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. And uh, and yeah, it's going to be a blast. All right. Well, that is true. Uh, We're finally heading to London, but most importantly, is the here and the now, which is Crystal Palace. Obviously, the last match Chelsea played in the Premier League. Over to Stamford Bridge. It was this past Saturday, April 1st, and it was not an April Fool's Day joke, unfortunately. The score, in case you missed it, Chelsea won the Crystal Palace Eagles 2. You know, lineup, Dan... It's not exactly what we were used to seeing. It wasn't the classic 3-4-3 this weekend. Yeah, we, we saw a little bit of a, a variant thanks to a, a Victor Moses absence, which uh, you know allowed you to see both uh, Sesk and Manich on the pitch at the same time. You know, If you can't have one, you can't have a debate about one. Why not just throw both out there? Had a chance to see uh, Costa, Hazard. Uh, we also had Alonso. We had Conte. We had Pedro. Cahill, Luis, Azpilicueta, and Courtois. Uh, and then we also got to see some uh, some William, a little uh, minutes for Michi Batshuayi, and then uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek with a, a late, late appearance. So uh, definitely a, a different lineup. And we also got to see a little uh, Pedro wingback action again, which uh, I know some people love and some people uh, do the opposite of love when I see him in that position. <laughs> Yeah, we'll definitely touch on that here in a little bit, but I want a quick touch on the atmosphere yesterday, Nisar. I've seen a video and some tweets saying that the Chelsea fans were pretty quiet overall and that the Palace fans were the ones making the majority of the noise. I think that was unfair. I think um, Chelsea fans weren't quiet. They they reacted quite well, actually. Uh, In fact, to go in 2-1 down, uh, really responded well, drove the team on. It's just compared to the Palace fans, um, often you see it with away fans, uh, you know, overwhelming home fans. It's not abnormal and it happened. And Palace fans were exceptional. Palace away fans are exceptional. They use pyro, they use fireworks, um, and they are, they're, they're brilliant, they're crazy. Um, but I thought Chelsea were absolutely fine. Conte didn't even do his old cheerleader routine to get them going. Uh, he's already trained Chelsea fans to give that atmosphere, give the team a boost when they need it. And there was times in the game where the Palace fans were, yes, louder. You could probably hear it on the TV, but Chelsea fans often responded. And I thought the players felt that atmosphere and it kind of fed in positively into the performance. And it, it, you saw them rally for that, that late goal. Didn't happen, but wasn't the fans lack of support really I don't think well it's yeah. good to, I mean it's good to know like you said and that's why we always love having people that have been there on the ground you know in the grounds and check it out because you know some of the stuff that was put out was really harsh against the fans and um you know that's just really not what we've come to to know from people we talk to so appreciate you giving us kind of the insight of what was going on um but let's go ahead and kick off obviously with the goals fifth minute right off the bat Fabregas hits a gem of a long ball out wide to Hazard and when it's all said and done it is Fabregas himself who bangs it in off the near post to finish the move he started Nick 
Yeah, a really good goal. I mean, at this point, I, I think we were all kind of in the mindset that this will be another cakewalk, easy win, uh, something that you know you start off as brilliantly as Chelsea did in this match that you felt really good about. And I think Fabregas was a little fortunate that the ball went in off the post instead of right back at him. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a goal. And I thought he played uh, really well yesterday overall. No, it's good stuff. Unfortunately, the next one to go in, ninth minute, Wilfried Zaha somehow brought the ball down out of the air, turned and shot while surrounded by about four Chelsea defenders. Dan, not exactly what we expected after an early goal from Sesk, as Nick alluded to. Yeah, he definitely brought back some of those echoes and flashes of uh, the sideshow element of David Luiz, unfortunately, as he kind of rounded him pretty pretty well. And uh, you know, he was the star of the, uh, the circus in that moment with the way he was able to ba- basically create space for himself after somehow, you know, waving a wand, essentially, and bringing that ball to him and, and was very, very cool in finishing that. Unfortunately, about 90 seconds later, Nisar Benteke with Courtois already on the ground, just scoop chipped it in from close range. You know, thanks to a bit of a poor giveaway in our defensive half, and it left Cahill on an absolute island after Louise wasn't able to get his tackle uh, really stuck in on Zaha. Yeah, it was a it was a combination of Kante and Louise that sort of sort of like led the ball. You know, led the counter attack to sort of end up 2v1 with Gary Cahill the only defender uh, there to try to stop Zahar and Benteke he couldn't obviously too much to ask brilliant finish from Benteke to be fair um, but yeah it was just Chelsea just looked a bit unbalanced in that new formation that you guys touched upon well you know, five minutes later, Chelsea take a short corner and find Pedro crashing into the box. He gets his shot off before being absolutely destroyed. Uh, but the shot is deflected away by Townsend's right arm. Oh, I'm sorry. You were expecting me to tell you that maybe they got a penalty kick, Nick, but they didn't. I know this was one thing that really lit a fire under you yesterday. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, this is basic. If you're a referee, I mean, unless you are completely unsighted by, you know, someone the size of Ben Teke, which, you know, looking at the replays, I don't think he was. Uh, this is basic. I mean, it's not only a penalty, but it's a red card and they should have been down to 10 men because it's the denial of a goal scoring opportunity. So, uh, you know, I think the, the commentators, uh, both in game and after, you know, post game on NBCSN were were dead on with this. And, and the fact that it wasn't given, I think, really turned the game because at that point, you kind of felt like Chelsea was, uh, you know, already taking it to Palace, you know, in every way possible except for scoring goals. Uh, that would have been a really easy uh, conversion. And look, I mean, I think that it was just one of those days where stuff didn't go our way. And uh, we haven't had many of those this year. So, uh, hopefully we can uh, start that trend back up again. Did you see his uh, his tweet after the game, Nick? No. Uh, it was uh, it was ball, ball the hand or something. When he, someone <laughs> tweeted at him <laughs> a copy of the video. Didn't yep. probably didn't have a response to that one. No. Yeah, uh, weird. Well, you know, Nisar, I'm, you know, I don't know how good of a view you guys had being in the press area, because uh, you're pretty close to the field at Stamford Bridge, aren't you? Yeah, we are. Yeah, but you know, to be fair, in 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 you know, watching it live, you don't really, you can't really see that. the The replay makes it seem really clear, but uh, you know, I think you could easily miss that. There's so many men in the box. Uh, Chelsea was so unlucky, and you're right. It was a, obviously a red card. It was obviously a penalty. Uh, Awful. Uh, I think Townsend knew it as well. He's just being cheeky. You know what I mean? Just you've got to take to social media to have a bit of banter sometimes. And they won. They were they were celebrating. They were partying. And fair play to Palace. They got their luck, but they kind of earned it in one or two spells. They were. You have to admit they were sensational, really, defensively and having those outlets up front. Yeah, and we're going to go ahead and dig into that right now as we talk about Chelsea's defense this match. I mean, the biggest change today was not having Victor Moses in the lineup. So we saw Pedro step in, and this was not an experiment. You know, we've seen him there before. We think that this is, you know, I honestly, I thought it was a good call for Conte to get someone else experience in one of those wingback positions because we know we have no depth there. But Dan, you know, how did you think Pedro did today filling in as a wingback? 
And I'd like to point out that Crystal Palace loves attacking through Townsend and Zaha out wide. So it was always going to be a tough day for him. At least that's what I thought going into it. Well, I mean, he really spent the first 60 minutes or so of the game in the wing pack position. He had to, you know, William came on, you know, he got to go advance a little bit further up the pitch. Uh, and then like the, the positional maps show him in his traditional area kind of just dropped a little bit beneath, you know, Hazard and Costa in comparison. So, um, you know, even though he was wing back in, in title, I mean, he really was not, uh, I mean, he didn't adhere to that positional alignment maybe as much as he could have, which I think is why he also saw a little bit of a rampage on, uh, on his side. You know, he definitely, you know, it was nice to see William actually play it. I thought that was a pretty cool, uh, and that's why I actually thought might happen. Um, you know, see William potentially start and Pedro continue to play up front where he's you know, had a chance to terrorize, but uh, it, it was very reminiscent of the, uh, you know, Wolverhampton game and uh, where, you know, it wasn't great. It was not great. I can I can tell you guys right now, I just pulled up Pedro's heat map and it looks like he's a, a right wing forward. I mean, he like his the most time spent is on the right wing just outside Palace's box. And, you know, he, he put in a shift. He was very very aggressive as you're pointing out um but maybe that kind of left the team exposed nick i'm not really sure how you know you felt like the positioning went obviously cahill aspilicueta and louise it wasn't their finest day out and i guess i'm wondering if that is maybe because pedro left his defensive responsibilities more than a moses would have yeah i that that to me was kind of a one part of a two-part scenario i think it was just a generally poor day for our back line um you know louise played his worst game i've seen since he came back to chelsea uh and i think dave was trying to overcompensate for uh, pedro not being in his normal slot or what a right wing back slot should be and then i think it was a combination too of both of our midfielders getting pulled side to side instead of front to back because they were trying to compensate for where Pedro was. So essentially you had Sesk and Pedro kind of interchanging way up top. And then that whole side uh, was pretty much there to be had if you're palace and you know, it was not our best day out by any means. It, It looked pretty poor most of the time. I think that Louise had a really tough day with Menteke, who's just a monster. I mean, He's not a great striker um, right now by any means, but he's a freaking monster. His back-to-goal play and his hold-up play is tremendous. And uh, and when you have someone who has, you know, Wilfred Zaha, who's on this tear um, of, of form, it's it's a dangerous combination. I, I think Zaha impressed a lot of uh, opposition and neutral fans with his, uh, with his play today. You know, jumping this over to Nisar, absolutely. Zaha looked just top class today you know and and so a part of that a lot of people touched on this in the discussion was should Conte have gone with Pedro wing back or shifted Dave out to right wing back and brought Zuma in and in your Facebook live yesterday I think you know you did talk about will Aspilicueta be a wing back under Conte yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Obviously, Aspicueta is playing unbelievably well, let, let's say, in his, his current position, which is the right side of the central defence. Um, you know, being a right side, being a right back is not the same as being a right wing back. There's slightly different duties. There's way more pressure on you to get up and down. Is There's way more up and down, and, and the, the pace you have to move up and down is a lot quicker. Um, so I, I don't know if that's ideal for Aspi. I don't think it is. I think it's okay when Chelsea have the lead and they're trying to you know defend it put Aspie there um you know bring Zuma on that it works then and you see Conte does that but when it when it's a case of you know you're starting there against Crystal Palace at home you really want Aspie Quetta there um on the right side when you can put someone a bit more attack-minded like Moses uh, when you're on the front foot for most of the game um I think that I don't think that would have been the solution for me. I think the biggest problem in the Crystal Palace game was the switch of formation because um, it's no it's, it's no coincidence that Luis had his, one of his first bad games of the season. Kante was quite poor. Um, a lot of players who were compensating for each other, people not knowing where to go, uh, both attacking and defensively, uh, there's just a loss of fluidity. And I think 3-5-2 could work in the future, but you know these things take time. 3-4-3 um, came in against Hull City 
City, which was a nice team to come in against and try out a new formation. But Palace were on it on it on uh, on Saturday, and uh, you know the formation was found out. The fluidity damaged Chelsea, um, and I don't think right. I think right wing back possible for Aspilicueta, but he's not going to be as good as Victor Moses at, at that job. Well. I loved your tweet about your editor asking you, would you have ever expected at any point in this season saying Chelsea would miss Moses? But like you said, no Moses meant a different formation, which it's a subtle change, right? A 3-4-3 to a 3-4-2-1 is what the Premier League site is calling it. But nonetheless, like people can see Moses is a key player. He's yeah, athletic. He um, he's way more athletic. I mean, he's just crazy on the wing, and I think his running is underrated. Nazar. I mean, he's he's all over the place. Yeah, it's so hard to play that role. You have to be so physically fit. If you look at the stats, game in, game out, the ones who run the furthest, run the fastest. Uh, you know, is Alonso and Moses. Alonso as well. Um, he's he's doing a great physical. You know, he has to have great physical attributes to carry out that role. Um, there's a lot of discipline and there's a lot of uh, positional sense as well. They have to. Chelsea weren't playing as wide against Crystal Palace as well, which uh, attack it, it caused problems with their attacking play. Uh, their attacking play wasn't as fluid. Yes, they created a lot of chances, but um, it wasn't quite as clear cut chances as we're used to. And obviously, uh, the, the strikers, the attackers didn't quite have that cutting edge uh, that, that we're used to seeing. But maybe that was in part down to other things going wrong on the day. Chelsea's players psychologically thinking um, that maybe it wasn't their day. Dan, is that something you think that you saw as well? Just Chelsea as a defensive unit were not as impressive to the eye test than what we normally have seen because statistically speaking, not much was different today versus the rest of the season. Chelsea conceded eight shots and this season we've been averaging 8.2 shots conceded. So, you know, I guess... Was it the eye test again a lot more reliable today than the what the stats on paper said? Uh, I, I think it it lines up. I, I think it, they just to the point of confidence. It didn't look like they were confident in their location. You saw a lot of times they were trying to look for where they were going to be passing to versus just kind of instinctively passing to an area, knowing someone was going to be there. Um, which you know, when you think about the number of crosses that kind of passed in front of the box eventually uh, and didn't connect with another player, no, no one was really where they needed to be, uh, you know, in, in kind of the sense that it normally was. Uh, I guess, you know, same thing over to you, Nisar, because you get to see these teams. You think maybe coming off an international break, guys may just were not quite at 100% and sharp like they normally are? Um, I think, I think that. I think that it wasn't the lack of sharpness. I think oh, the Diego Costa is the main man that you pick out is not looking sharp. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't think that should be a problem. I mean, David Luiz, he didn't go on international duty. Um, a lot of the guys were playing in Europe. Um, they used to play in this amount of games. Uh, I don't think Chelsea were that bad anyway. Um, there was a few players, uh, some of the defenders we picked out, a few midfielders. Um, but I don't think they were that poor. I think, I think it's just Chelsea had to make a lot of changes because of you know injuries uh, to Moses, but also I think they would have gone with Willian if he didn't travel all the way from Brazil. Uh, I think that maybe they would have started him if it wasn't for that. Um, but for me, I would have gone with Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I would have stuck with three-four-three, which everyone's used to their jobs. Ruben's been in quite good form of late, and I would have just used him as one of the attacking players. Kept Pedro as a natural wing back instead of um, in this slightly different formation, which brings slightly different pressures as well uh, to the wing backs. Um, Alonso didn't have a very good game at all, I thought. So it just shows you that um, that sometimes the system can make everyone go from six out of tens to sevens or eights. Interesting. No, that's a really good point. You know, like I said, it just it just changes the dyna- the dynamic a little bit. But let's kind of continue on to the offensive uh, side of the team. Before this match, Chelsea were averaging five point three shots on goal per game, and scoring on every and scoring two goals a match uh, against Palace. Chelsea scored one goal from eleven shots on target. And the way the season has been going, it would not have been crazy if Chelsea scored four goals, Dan. But they didn't. Yeah, that, w- that was probably the uh, the amount of saves, and I think a lot of that actually too is credit to uh, you know Hennessy who had 
uh, a couple of world-class saves uh, in what looked like near goals. There was also a couple opportunities to convert from some free kicks close to the box and the, you know, they were a shot on target, but they were, and they, they count as a shot on target, but they weren't great shots on target too. So I think, uh, well, there, yes, there were some unlucky elements to it, but I think there was also some, some poor attempts on target, you know, and really, I think that ties back to the kind of element of Diego Costa. And I think, you know, shout out to Nazar for a great article about, you know, you know, before China offer and after China offer, what kind of has happened to Diego Costa and, uh, you know, he's not been, you know, converting at, at a, the same level and uh, has really looked a, a man out of place leading the lineup right now, which is unfortunate because you know what type of talisman he, you know, he can be when he's on form and kind of, you know, on fire. Well, I'll promise that we will talk about Diego Costa, but Nick, you know, Chelsea had 42 crosses today. On average, we've only had 19 crosses per match. And with that many crosses, it just nothing quite got through. And it seems like if it did get through every deflection and bounce was going Palace's way, Chelsea just couldn't get there. Our friend Chris Axon, you posted his photo, which was literally summed it all up at once. Diego Costa fully outstretched, Hennessy fully outstretched, and it just was an inch away from going our way. Yeah, I, I I struggled with this because, like, on on the one hand, you're right. Like, obviously, the crossing was not working today. I mean, there were a couple of chances from crosses, but on the whole, it was just pretty poor, failing to beat the first man. And a lot of scenarios kind of had some flashbacks to last year on that. You know, where we just couldn't cross Ivanovic or you know anyone couldn't really cross last year. This year or this game for me, I was a little bit. A little bit perturbed, but I also know that that Palace was throwing everybody back. I mean, they had 11 behind the ball for a lot of the second half when we were going on that late charge. And at some point, there's just not any room in the box to shoot the ball. And then if Hennessy's going to come up with, you know, wonder save after wonder save, you just kind of have to tip your hat and say it's not your day because Chelsea had, I had this in my mind in the first half. If, you know, you give up two quick goals like that. I thought Chelsea came back and played a really good rest of the half. And if they could have leveled via penalty or, or a goal from open play by halftime, I, I had no doubt it was going to be kind of like the Stoke game from New Year's Eve where we, you know, traded a couple of goals, but eventually came out and, and ran away with it. But just didn't seem like the second half had as much energy or attacking uh, thrust as, as the first half. And at the end of the day, if it's not working, you have to find a new way through. Nisar, just throwing it over to you on that. You know, obviously talking about the fact that Chelsea weren't converting their shots like they normally do and just had, I mean, essentially barraged, you know, uh, Crystal Palace's box and they defended so well, even having uh, to throw Scott Dan on uh, for the injury as well. I mean, literally everyone stepped up for them. But again, I guess I just want to open it up to you and just talk about kind of Chelsea's attacking day in general. Well, every the important point is everything went right for Palace that day. For Palace to beat Chelsea, everything has to go right. But back to Chelsea, the most important thing is, yeah, I mean, I don't think that Chelsea created a lot of chances. They had a lot of shots, uh, but most of the shots were not clear cut. You know, you're even talking about Fabregas in the second half, uh, Matic long ranges, free kicks from Louise. Um, these these chances weren't as clear cut as you used to. The clear cut chances did fall to Diego Costa. And, you know, he was unlucky with one that was close range, good save from Hennessy. Uh, but the, the Eden Hazard chance that he created for him where he, you know, he crossed it up and Diego Costa headed it wide wouldn't count as one of the shots on target. Uh, that was a sort of sitter. That's a good chance you expect a world-class Chelsea striker to score. Um, and you expect Diego Costa to score that. Um why he's missing these chances. Um, natural for a striker to have a lull. I'm not having a go at him. I don't think... I don't think Conte should give up on him. I think sometimes you've got to be gentle, have a nice touch with people, um, not go down the social media hatred route and, uh, you know, be relaxed, be calm, give these guys a chance. Mitchie came on 20 minutes, didn't really have an impact. So you can't really look to Mitchie for the remaining months of the season. Um, it, he had his chance, didn't really take it. Um, I don't want to be harsh on Mitchie, but 
that that's the sort of pressure on a Chelsea player. It's very very hard um, for a Chelsea player to make it, and it was it was a bit like watching a, a Man City play. It's a bit like watching Arsenal play, and it's a bit like watching Man United play. It was a very un-Chelsea performance in terms of the way they tried to finish off um, Palace. But again, the the lack of fluidity that affected Chelsea at the back to concede two goals also affected them going forward. I thought, um, you know. Pedro wasn't in the right positions as he usually is. Of course, he had a lot more defensive responsibility. Hazard was playing a lot more centrally. Uh, so these kind of things did affect him. Alonso wasn't really effective in attack. Um, Fabregas was good, uh, but I don't think he was getting that much space on the ball. I thought he was crowded out a lot. Um, and Kante and Matic were okay, but I think they were pretty ineffectually, uh, pretty ineffectual going forward. So... Um, Lots of these things just didn't come together. Everything came together for Palace and a lot didn't come together for Chelsea. And then specifically talking about Diego Costa, you know, he had nine shots this match, uh, you know, tripled the next person uh, between anyone else on team. And I use Squawka's, you know, uh, comparison matrix, throwing in Diego Costa's last three seasons doing the average per game. And, you know, and he started kind of like we're talking about. He is, you know, he, I guess... In your articles, you talked about it's he's waning a little bit. I mean, he's still Chelsea's only goal scorer, like day in day out striker. Um, but I guess like is this a blip, or maybe is he going to struggle a little bit more the rest of the season? I guess kind of what's your feeling on where he's at with the club? Obviously, because there's been a ton of just always talks about him and where he sits. Well, still still up in the air. Uh, he'll no doubt have offers if he wants to go. Um, I think Chelsea would like to keep him. I think they still respect him. I think they still value him as a player. Um, he's obviously a great player. I'd, if it was me, I'd keep him as well. Um, but still, Chelsea would need a new striker next season. If if Mitchie can't somehow convince us all that he can be that man, and I know a lot of guys love him and expect him to become, you know, it's a step up and feel he hasn't had his chance. But um, yeah, I think Diego. It's not time to write him off, but. It's clear, it's very clear that um, he's been playing worse and worse in recent weeks. Even the goals he has scored have been consolation goals, whereas they were very decisive earlier in the season. They were hugely important. And against Palace, he scored in the uh, other game at Selhurst Park. And Chelsea barely had any chances in that game. He had to take the one chance they had. He took it. Chelsea won 1-0, carried on a winning streak that became a 13-match winning streak. And he deserves great credit for Chelsea's position as well. Um, He's been huge and monumental in uh, Chelsea's probable. Uh, you know they're still favourites for the title, so let's not let's not kill Diego. Let's not kick him. But um, yeah, let, let's hope that Conte can find some motivation, some love um, to bring the best out of him. He's an interesting character. He's a very um, sort of quirky, um, you know, uh, sort of confident, but. It's ultimately a sort of bizarre character and can be difficult to manage as we've seen with the China offer and all the fallout after that. Yeah. Nick, I mean, Diego Costa, a little bit wasteful yesterday, but I mean, still, you know, still the man to lead the line, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no no doubt that he's the man to uh, to lead the line. I think the thing that I looked at yesterday with him where I was a little disappointed was his lack of movement in the box. Uh, I don't think he was as active as we've seen him in, in previous matches. And that really makes a huge difference because he just, he commands so much attention of you know the opposing center backs that, you know, if he's not moving or if the players around him aren't providing good service that he does struggle from time to time. So, uh, you know, you just kind of hope that he, you know, figures out the movement piece and I'm sure the goals will come after that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone, uh, for chipping in. Uh, but let's go ahead and hit up any other thoughts, anything that maybe we missed, Dan, that you wanted to kind of pull out and make sure that we touched on before we wrap it up. No, I mean, I, I think I, I said it once, but a credit to Hennessy, I think, for exceptional performance from a goalkeeper. And I think he really kept Palace uh, alive and really kept the energy and emotion for their players as like a this is our day to win uh, and, and I think that fed into the mentality of how, how they played when they started getting a little bit more defensive, a little more compact and really shutting down the passing lanes in the second half and not not giving way to, to Chelsea. Even when we went um, FIFA mode, all out attack, uh, they were they held strong. Nick, anything else? 
Yeah, I just I managed our Twitter yesterday. I'm sure to no one's surprise, and uh, it just was immediate from like the first whistle that everyone was going to code off Matic for apparently having a bad first half, which I think he did. But it's just funny. It's funny the group think that happens on Twitter where, you know, someone will tweet, uh, Matic is awful. And then, you know, you'll have 50 tweets following that where people are like, yeah, let's get him out of the club. And I'm just like, I, I made a, a sarcastic tweet yesterday that is basically just like the uh, coding off helpline, you know, so this is what we're doing today. Cool. You know, we're going to, we're going to figure out who to hate today. You do better than that folks. I mean, really that's, this is my only plea. I mean, if you think he's having a bad game, my, my plea to you would be to point out something specific and not just follow the line of insanity. Oh, and plus, I mean, such a long season and like for, you know, even these being the best players in the world to play, you know, nines and tens every single week, it's, it's impossible. And like, as a player, you just, you know, like, Hey, if it's not going for me today, like I just need to figure out a way to not hurt the team and at least, you know, put in a shift. So I, I I hear on that. Uh, Nassar, obviously, uh, anything else to you as well? Yeah, just echo those sentiments. I mean, no Chelsea player, not even one of the ones who started or played in that game, uh, deserves any hate for this season. Um, in fact, Chelsea fans should be so proud of what they've their players have achieved this season. Um, a loss to Palace isn't shameful. They have a great team. Uh, they're much better now under Sam Allardyce. And I wanted to shout out one player that we haven't shouted out yet Mamadou Sacco, uh, the Liverpool loanee defender. He's proved that he, he needs to be playing for a big club next season. And then my last point would just to be Conte's post-match press conferences, his comments all the way around, uh, didn't blame the referee on the penalty, you know, didn't put any players under the bus, didn't, uh, you know, go at anyone. Just uh, it's a different approach that we, you know, maybe aren't used to. But I just to me, I thought that was kind of refreshing to hear and see. Uh, I promise that's no shots at anyone that's previously managed <laughs> the club. I'm just saying it, it's a new a new approach to things and it's going well. So um, Nick, we did not do a man of the match poll, but instead you decided to see what the fans thought about this result in terms of Chelsea's chances of winning at all. Is that maybe a fair way to, to describe this? Yeah, after seeing kind of the the vitriol around some Chelsea players for this match, I thought it better to not do a man of the match poll to inspire more hate. Instead, I did a poll uh, that said, uh, will this be a crucial moment for Chelsea's title challenge with the options of yes, no, or off day, still confident and off day, still confident came out with the clear, um, clear win, 59% of the vote. So I'm glad to see that. A majority of our folks here on Twitter are uh, still still confident and uh, and keeping calm, which is good. Yeah, definitely a lot of social media support as well. Uh, Vinesh saying the law of averages will catch up. Justin saying just a blip in his opinion. Hamid saying just a blip as well. Peace Frog saying it's only our fourth defeat, so we mustn't nappy. You know, don't be sad. And then Pop Bam Wiz saying 100% these things happen sometimes. You can do virtually everything right and still not win. Don't read too much into this. So we also we all know Chelsea are in first uh, with a seven point lead over Tottenham. And and real quick, Nisar, you know, as we look at Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, Man City's remaining fixtures. I mean, some fans are still a little concerned that Chelsea have the harder run in. I'd say you've got the two Man City clubs being the big ones that stand out. Tottenham have United, Arsenal, Liverpool. Let's see. I guess I don't think they really have anyone too bad. And then Man City, uh, nothing. Liverpool. I mean, they've got Liverpool in there. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think I think Chelsea's running's okay. Um, I think they've they're still strong, strong favourites. Um, I don't think there's anything to panic about. Like Man City are coming to Stamford Bridge, obviously very soon. Um, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be an incredible, an incredible turnaround if Chelsea lost this title. Um, the only team to have lost the title with a, a lead 
as good as 10 points, which was the lead, obviously, before this game, uh, it was Newcastle uh, in 1995-96 in the Premier League era. And they were a lot less experienced than Chelsea in terms of title races. Their players weren't as established. Uh, not, they basically weren't as good. And Man United chasing them were a dominant team. It was like a Bayern Munich chasing Leverkusen or something. It was, But, you know, for... For it to happen this season would be the greatest uh, sort of comeback in Premier League years. And after Leicester won the Premier League last season, anything's possible, of course. Uh, and Chelsea fans are right to be nervous. Um, the defeat is not insignificant, um, but it depends how we how Chelsea re- respond against Man City. Um, they might get nervous, or they might rally round and produce something brilliant. I think. A draw might be good enough against Man City. To be honest, I think there's still seven points is still a big gap. Um, really hard to close that gap in only nine games. Um, so if if Spurs could achieve it, it would be incredible. I can't see anyone else coming back though. I wouldn't even say anyone else is a contender. If City beat Arsenal today, I would have said they might be. But um, that draw was probably undeserved from City. Uh, they probably deserve to beat Arsenal, but didn't happen for them and. They're out of the title race in my mind. It's nine games is not a lot. Um, it's not a lot in this sort of title race. And as much as Conte tries to say we've got to mathematically win the title, um, it, you know Chelsea would have to do something stupid to lose it. And Conte is saying the right things, but you know as an as a as a journalist following Chelsea, um, it, it it's looking pretty it's still held on. Yeah, and just to con- clarify, I apologize. Man City have Chelsea and United left. So, you know, like you said, it sounds like it's a bit of a two-horse race. Uh, I guess, Dan, and, you know, in your mind, is it is that the way you see it? Is the title will stay in London this year? Well, I guess not stay. <laughs> Come back to London. Come back to London. Uh, I think that that would be the, the best projection for uh, for the future. And I, I think that, uh, again, we would have to do something pretty monumental at this point to uh, to not see it uh, return to Stamford Bridge. And uh, I think injuries are probably the biggest kind of concern piece there. You know, I mean, we saw what one injury to Victor Moses did uh, to having to play a different formation uh, against a much stronger uh, Crystal Palace team and what that did. So I think you think about, you know, Conte, you think about Hazard, you think about you know, Costa. You know, and, and injuries are probably the thing and fatigue are going to be the biggest things to manage right now because uh, it's, it's a packed April and uh, there's a lot of fixtures and it's going to be some some short turnarounds. I mean, even now, turning around to City in the middle of the week here, it's the kind of game you'd love to have a full week's rest and, and that's, that's not happening right now. So uh, that's going to be a tough part and I think you're going to look to see Ruben, um, you know, Chaloba, William, uh, some players that maybe have not been starting every game are going to be pretty critical right now uh, to the to the title challenge. Yeah, I would quickly say too that you look at our run in City, Bournemouth, United, Southampton, Everton in April, and that's just the Premier League. Obviously, we have the uh, FA Cup semifinal as well. Um, Everton's not a pushover. Southampton's not a pushover. United will want to get one back on us. Bournemouth is probably the easiest match that we have in. Uh, in April, but I mean, this is not a, an easy run-in by any means. I, I know it looked that way when we you know, had the 12-point lead back in February, but uh, you know, it's going to take a lot of guts, um, and hopefully we're able to squeak out some wins here and, and put pressure on, on Spurs to do the same. Everton are sitting at one point away from Arsenal. Arsenal do have two games in hand on them as well as United, but I mean, they're keeping the pressure. That's all I'm saying in seventh, but Uh, That's all we've got for this part, Chelsea fans. Stick around. We will hit up your social media questions next. We have a real quick message. Here we go. Hey, Dan. Oh, how's it going there, Nick? Hey, you know, I'm just just great. Um, Did you know on World Soccer Shop right now that they are running a special on home kits? I heard that that might be the case. It would probably also be one of your last chances to get an Adidas Chelsea kit. 
That's right. I mean, with all these crazy uh, Nike kit rumors going on, some of them looking less than flattering <laughs> as concepts, this would be a great time to go get in uh, a pajama home kit for $49.99 that's discounted from what we've previously had on the show and uh, and get yourself one of those, maybe with a custom name on it, just to, to look fancy. But uh, go to worldsoccershop.com, follow them on social media, and uh, you can go grab yourself one of those. Dan, how does that sound? Sounds great. Sounds like it's the best way to keep up to date with all their leading promotions, too. Okay, Chelsea fans, it is time to answer your questions that you sent us via Facebook and Twitter. So kicking us off right away, we've got at Nels Johnson 2 saying, How impressive is Sesk's transformation under Conte? The stat that he saw said that Fabregas covered more ground than anyone else yesterday, something he never expected, Nick. That is impressive. I thought Sesk played really well yesterday. I think I would expect him to start uh, maybe against Man City on Wednesday because he's been playing so well, but in his more traditional uh, formation with N'Golo Conte. But, um, yeah, I think he's he's coming around, and I think this was maybe part of Antonio Conte's larger plan with him is to get him – uh, kind of in, integrated into his new system with maybe match fitness to match his his extreme talent on the ball and and now we're starting to see some of those fruits come to bear. All right, at twenty nine Kevsta says, Dan, are we bottling the title race? Does Costa's cold streak justify minutes for Mishi, and should we be focused on summer reinf- or defensive reinforcements this summer? Uh, so it's a, it's a three-part question, which Correct. is pretty cool. Uh, part one, bottling the title race. Uh, no, uh, I would say if the gap got to, you know, one to two to three points, I would be a little bit more concerned. Uh, and I think, you know, anytime there's a two plus game difference, uh, and that, that again, Nazar was talking about it in part one, but you know, you're going to have, you know, they have to win then two games. We so have to lose two more games to then essentially get to a point where we're evening out. And then it would be, you know, a, a photo finish kind of scenario. Uh, Diego Costa cold streak. As much as I love the idea of minutes for Mishi, um, minutes for Mishi uh, it does not push Diego Costa to perform at a higher level because he knows the drop off is. Uh, uh, it's like the top of a peak of a mountain to a little bit of a valley. Um, it, it, there's just too much of a drop off. So, you know, I, I don't think you're going to see that happen. And then, uh, yes, we should be focused on defensive reinforcements in the summer. Uh, part of that being Andres Christensen coming back, uh, as confirmed by uh, Munch and Gladbach, that they uh, have ended their pursuit of the Chelsea defender. In addition to uh, you know, potentially signing one, someone like a Virgil Van Dyke would be, uh, you know, quite an excellent acquisition as well. Nick, I'll at least give you a shot to tackle a couple of those as well. Because, I mean, Kevsta throwing the fire this way. A uh, quick question back to Kevsta. If you win the title by seven points, did that mean that you bottled it in the first place? Because that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, that was a little bit snarky for me, but I had to throw it in there. And then two, <laughs> uh, should we buy defensive reinforcements? Yes, we should. Um, I don't necessarily know if it will be in the center back position, but I think you can look at our wing back positions too as mm-hmm. defensive minded positions largely. And I think we're going to buy one or two wing backs um kind of holdovers you know to see if we can push Moses and Alonzo even further so yes and just to clarify Chelsea you're going to look for reinforcements in all areas will there be mm-hmm. an extra focus defensively i think possibly uh next one up at 1970 blue says oh well, this is convenient squad depth is a real problem as we don't have an alternative to Moses, Nick. Well played. Do we have one for Alonzo? I don't think so. Or does there one for Costa? So you get a three-person question, Nick, tweeted at you. <laughs> uh, uh, we do not have a alternative to Moses. I think that's pretty clear, especially after this match. He, he is a unique talent in, in the fact that he's offensively sound and I think has come around on the defensive side. He still has a little bit more work to do there, but I think is just a quality wing back. Uh, Alonzo, I think, has played pretty well since Ake came back into the team. There's probably not a coincidence there. And then we don't have an op- we don't have a replacement for Costa at all. And I I don't know even out there short of a Neymar or a Messi from a production standpoint that we're going to be able to buy anyone. 
with that production. I mean, Lukaku gets mentioned all the time, but you know, again, we've mentioned on this pod before that the I think the gap between Lukaku and uh, Diego Costa at their peak is still kind of big. So, uh, you know, we're going to go by in the summer and you know, we definitely need another high quality striker. Um, but direct replacements are, are tough. And that's why that that's why everyone is overvalued at this point of the the transfer craziness. The, the one comment I would make in, in point to that is when Casa, you know, did miss a game previously, you know, was Hazard who kind of deputized under that and, and did well. So I think if you're thinking about, you know, if there was going to be some type of shift, it would probably involve us seeing that front three go to, uh, you know, William Pedro and then Hazard as our front three. But then you kind of have to think about what are you going to do if, you know, William or Pedro is potentially having a rough game. There's a little bit less of a option to bring someone off the bench because then you, you know, you, you know, to Nazar's point, maybe you bring in a Ruben Loftus cheek then. But again, you're then seeing the layers of drop off are, are significant um, in a squad that really is pushing, uh, you know, for nine more games to be as effective as possible. Stephen Clark asked, you know, in summation, uh, what we thought about the Modic Conte midfield, he said that he felt like anytime we tried to get the ball up in the counterattack to kick that off, it was sloppy or slow, especially when we tried to find Hazard and um, I guess Fabregas ish, you know, as our two wide people. And, you know, he, he says he does love both of them. Uh, but together, he just thought it was clunky in the midfield at times. And I think we did see that a little bit today. It's also a little bit clunky because Fabregas normally likes to come and get the ball. We didn't need him to do that. We needed him to be out in space and to get him the ball a little farther forward. So again, Nisar hit on a lot of this, that the formation just changed the dynamic of the team. And I think because of that, because we didn't have like a Pedro and Hazard or, you know, insert William in there out wide ready to get the ball on the flank I think that just kind of threw everyone off a little bit so I don't want to pin it all on Modic and Conte I think it was just actually you know uh, a difference between the system today versus what we normally have uh, next question from uh, Shantanu says should be should we be wary of Tottenham Dan <laughs> I think you should be wary of any team that's, uh, you know, now a couple points closer to you. Uh, but I think the thing that we have to be wary about is our own reflection. I think if we, you know, match their performance, whether that's a win, losses, draw, uh, then we'll still end up winning the title at seven points above them. So I think it's the self-reflection and the self-performance that's the most important thing. And I think that's where, you know, look, Arsenal, you know, did us a favor today, you know, as for much as we kind of, you know, make fun of Arsenal fan TV and the, you know, Arsene Wenger contracts, I mean, they, they helped us out by knocking a couple points off City. Um, you know, would you like to see, you know, Swansea and Clement, you know, midweek, you know, take Tottenham for a little run around and, and knock all three points off them? Absolutely. That would be fantastic. But it, you have to rely upon your team doing the business they need to, to, you know, earn the right to be champions. Uh, it's not something that's gifted to you uh, as a consolation prize. Here's an idiom for you. If you're if you're running in a race, the worst thing you can do is look back. Right. Like you just keep looking forward and it doesn't matter if the person's right on your tail. It doesn't matter if you're 50 miles ahead. Uh, the worst thing you can do is look back because uh, you slow yourself down at that point. So the only people that we need to be worried about are the players in blue. And if they do their thing, it won't matter because we'll we'll have that gap no matter what. You know, the another thing to think about is that Tottenham did score two goals today without Harry Kane. Uh, they're surviving. So, yeah, we should be wary, but not focused. So I think that's kind of like the balance of what Nick and Dan are both saying. So, again, thank all of you for your questions. As always, very good stuff. Um, one last break, and then we're on to Man City, which... <laughs> It's probably going to be a bit longer than our normal match previews, so you'll want to stick around for that. Here we go. Just a quick shout out to World Soccer Shop, who's our presenting sponsor. Go follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. They do awesome content. They post their deals of the day there. Uh, they even do, you know, jersey competitions where they, they did a March Madness bracket for uh, U.S. national team jerseys and stuff like that. All fun stuff. Uh, we highly recommend it. Uh, World Soccer Shop on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And that will do it for the promo breaks. 
All right, Manchester City and Premier League action. Thankfully, sticking around at Stamford Bridge is going to be this coming Wednesday, April 5th. Yay for afternoon meetings. <laughs> Nick, is, is playing this match at home a huge boost this late in the season? Yes, playing any match at home is a huge boost. Uh, it's specifically because Arsenal uh, had a, a home match against City today, which is Sunday, so we even have a little bit more rest than City coming into this match. Uh, and, and yeah, it's it's almost, I was thinking about this um, after the match yesterday, it's a Wednesday night, uh, kind of feels like a Champions League type of match, and hopefully it's a Champions League type of atmosphere uh, at the bridge on Wednesday because they're going to need it. The team's going to need to pick themselves up, dust themselves off, and and go and do the business. You know, the last time we played City, Dan, it ended in fireworks. And I know it's the night game, so maybe there literally will be, but I mean the on-the-field ones, Dan. Yeah, you know, I think we have to think about the you know, grow a tackle on Louise. I think that the uh, response of a, a few of City's players uh, that saw some, uh, you know, both yellow cards and then also uh, straight reds and uh, suspension. So uh, this is a, a no love lost uh, type of game. You know, these are sides that, you know, look to compete for the top position in every type of competition they start in the beginning of the season. And when you're ultra competitive, uh, you know, there's going to be some sparks and there's going to be some uh, some fires, hopefully not from the stands uh, this game. So uh, we would like to hopefully have a cleaner match uh, is, is the one thing I'm hoping for right off the bat. You know, I definitely want to see, you know, a, a tactically great game. Uh, you know, and actually, you know, I think City and you know Arsenal was a fun game to watch you know this weekend after the fact because you know there weren't too many terrible challenges it was you know more about trying to move the ball around and you know, I think given you know given a couple of things we could have a similar type of uh, you know difficult thing to handle on our hands but I also think we saw a couple of things today watching them that uh, we'll be able to exploit like their uh, you know the left wing. All right. Well, the form guide stands. Chelsea have three wins, a draw, and a loss in the last five. Man City have three wins and two draws. You know, they've beaten Swansea, Bournemouth, Sunderland. They drew Stoke 0-0 at home before the international break. And then they just, you know, they tied Liverpool 1-1. And then obviously the Arsenal draw today. So, um, you know, they're not on a bad run, but they're, you know, they're not on a great run either, Nick. Obviously, Chelsea, again, no big wins recently coming off the Crystal Palace loss. You know, with Conte being who Conte is, you know he's not going to let these guys off the hook. They're probably training today, Sunday. They're going to be in doing stuff all week, making sure that mentally they're absolutely sharp and there's going to be no letdowns. Yeah, that's that's the key. Um, I, I trust uh, Antonio Conte inherently, especially after a loss to be able to pick these guys back up as a former player. He knows exactly what they need to hear. He knows exactly what they need to do. Um, I, I'm not worried about the, the tactical game plan. I I'm worried about heavy legs uh, and I'm worried about who is going to provide the spark. You know, Eden Hazard was phenomenal in the first half against crystal palace. I mean, it may be one of the best uh, halves of football he's played all year second half was not really as engaged so I really hope that you know especially with him coming off an injury Moses co- coming off an injury potentially Costa Courtois you know kind of our our injury prone dudes that they are able to uh to sack up for this game and, and really play a solid match I mean you think about the city match Dan uh, the previous city match, you know, we could have been down two or three nil, you know, before making our, our comeback in the second half. And we were lucky to not be. So I, I don't think we can uh, overlook them since we beat them three one earlier in the year. No, because those those goals, you know, that third goal came extremely late, and as well as that second goal was not, you know, didn't didn't just pop up out of nowhere, and uh, you know they were unlucky to you know not convert a couple. Uh, I'd love for Kevin De Bruyne to continue his love affair with Woodwork this season, um, <laughs> on his ninth you know hit of the post after today's match against Arsenal. So uh, you know that he, that was a clear opportunity he could have gotten um, in the previous match and, and really just whiffed it. 
I, I think we're going to see a lot of fun. Uh, Pedro versus uh, Sané, uh, if you know Moses is healthy, and uh, that wing is going to be fun to watch. I also think Hazard is going to have a lot of opportunity to kind of move forward and have some some freedom to do so. But I think it's going to it's going to start up top with Costa and seeing if he can get engaged and, and really convert you know one or two opportunities if the formation and the players of the typical starting eleven are restored appropriately. You know, it's so hard to think about what City are going to do because you have Antonio Conte who's made the least amount of changes to his team this season. And on the polar opposite end is Pep Guardiola, Nick. And so you don't know if they're going to play a back three, a back four. They played a back four today, but those are wingbacks. There was no way those were traditional fullbacks. They were so far off the pitch. Mm -hmm. One was Jesus Navas. And then it was yeah. like, he, he was all up that side too. His, he basically true. did not deviate from that side. And I think if you play Navas against Hazard, uh, Hazard have a lot of fun playing against uh, Jesus Navas. Yeah, he's, that's one of the few players that Hazard's actually bigger than in the in the league. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know. I would guess that, uh, you know, if I was just projecting, I would guess that Pep would try and match the 3-4-3 up because they've, they've done that since the the first matchup that we had um they've, they've played a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2 depending on if Ianacho's in or not um but yeah you know it's going to be interesting you know I'm I'm extremely uh interested to see if if uh, Diego can kind of bully what is not a super strong back line um of of City and put the pressure on them because if you think about the first matchup again I kind of go back into my mind we were under the gun for a lot of that first half and it was only after you know the 60th minute or so where Chelsea really turned up the counterattacking uh and and so I I would hope that it would be a much more level game than the first one well, it's definitely going to be uh, a big one to watch. It obviously coming after this weekend. Uh, City didn't lose, but you know they weren't able to to go the full distance against Arsenal, who are in terrible form. You know the fact that Pep Guardiola is, you know, putting everything down to a very very weak handball, call, hand, you know, handball in the box on Monreal at the very end. That's just not enough. It's not convincing enough. So we'll see what happens. Uh, it's obviously going to be a big match for Chelsea, you know, trying to regain confidence. You know, Antonio Conte has been saying 21 points out of the last 30 is what he says. You know, Hopefully it takes less than that. But this is obviously going to be a big one in the title run-up. So with everything kind of being out there, I guess, is there anything else you guys want to you know, touch on before we uh, wrap this one up in, in terms of Man City. Dan? You know, I, I think the the only thought, and I, I think this is the mentality that, you know, our fans might have. I don't think it's the mentality that Antonio Conte is going to put into the side. But, um, you know, the question might be is, you know, what's worse is it losing worse um or is is drawing worse and i I think ultimately antonio conte is going to coach to a win uh city need the win uh they are in a much more precarious spot there's a little bit more fluidity in that second third and fourth position right now um and they need to qualify for champions league Uh, i think that one piece is is assured for us um you know so i just hope that the players don't get into the mindset of you know what like we can afford a draw because tottenham still has to chase us um, I, I would like them to go for the win, to go for the jugular, and uh, to put City in their place. All right, Nick, what about you? Yeah, I think I would look at um, probably the midfield is where this game will be won or lost for Chelsea. Um, you know, I, I look at N'Golo Conte and I look at Cesc Fabregas as being uh, they're they're going to need to boss this. You know, there were times in the first matchup where the you know they both got overran. Uh, this is something where I would hope uh, we start to see some more fluid passing. We see maybe the return of Pedro up top uh, instead of at a wing back position uh, where he can really do some damage and find some pockets. I mean, that's I, I look at Pedro as a, a very big threat to City with kind of his ability to bob and weave around uh, around those little pockets of space. So. Uh, I'm hoping that the the midfield four that we know um, are restored uh, and that Victor is okay to go. Uh, and if he's not, I would suspect that we'll have some sort of Azuma and and Dave combination on the right because I think there's just too much on this match to put Pedro in that position again. 
No, I'd agree. Definitely City are much tougher of an opponent than Palace, um, you know, especially going forward. But, you know, I think that's a good uh, kind of preview of this match. Let us know what you guys think are going to happen. As always, you can tweet at us, email us, Facebook us, all the all the usual ways, Chelsea fans. But, you know, with that being said, I think we should go ahead and wrap it up with uh, a thank you to our guest today. I uh, just want to say thank you, obviously, Nisar, every time you come on. It is fantastic. Great discussion all the way around. And we want to make sure our listeners are going and following you. So what is the best way for them to go and uh, read your awesome work? Well, um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all that. So pretty much the way the world works now. Um, my name's Nizar, N-I-Z-A-A-R, quite an unusual name. And my surname is Kinsler, K-I-N-S-E-L-L-A. Um, Google me and I'll come up because I'm the only one in the world so yeah follow us <laughs> up on gold.com and uh, yeah I've covered Chelsea so uh, you can hear more of this sort of talk and uh, yeah I'm always I always talk to fans and uh, of Chelsea and stuff like that so feel free to tweet me anytime yeah do a great job doing the pre- the pre-match and post-match press conferences tweeting as fast as you can to keep up in to- Antonio Conte but Nick and Dan I'll go ahead and let you guys say your thanks as well Nick uh, you can kick it off yeah definitely uh, we appreciate uh, you coming on Nazar and uh, anytime you know we need to catch you up to tweeds and, and so anytime you want to come on for a, a quick pod you let us know yeah, and also the uh, the ability to kind of hang out with you when we get over to, to London here in a couple of weeks. We're looking forward to, to seeing you again uh, on your side of the uh, the ocean as we had a chance to, yeah. to see you on our side uh, this uh, this past summer. Yeah, we'll take you to a Fulham pub, guys. <laughs> All go. right, it's excellent. We're looking forward to that. So everyone else, Chelsea fans, thank you for listening. And as always, you know what to do. We'll be back midweek with Man City. But until then... Keep the blue flag flying high. All right, Chelsea fans, that is a wrap for this week. Don't panic, though, as we'll be back after Chelsea's next match. So to be sure you don't miss it, subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at LondonBluePod. Until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high.